Welcome to the Wealth Stream Podcast. The team at Hightower Great Lakes share their insights and passions for empowering their clients to live their best life. In this energetic podcast, we will take you on a journey to help you navigate your financial future, overcome life's challenges to reach your financial goals, and find the financial clarity you've been searching for. Let's explore the downstream impact of your wealth and what it means to you, your family, and your community to live greater. Hello and welcome to the Wealth Stream with Tim Skinnell from Hightower Great Lakes. Tim, good afternoon. How are you? You know what, Eric? I'm doing very well. How about yourself? I am doing awesome and I am really excited about today's subject. You're, you're talking about trusts and, and more specifically, it looks like uh, special needs trusts, which is near and dear to my heart. So I, I love this. And you brought somebody in to talk with you, right? Yes. Um, m- many, many <laughs> months ago, back in July of 2019, we did a podcast, I think it was episode 13, where we talked about special needs trusts as well as other trusts. But I've always wanted to bring on an expert or someone who has subject matter expert. Um, and I have Keith Wolak today. He's a CPA attorney. I've done a fair amount of work with him. We've mutual clients. And I think it's going to be um, really informative for the listeners. Nice. I'm really excited for this. So um, with, with that, I'll let you guys teach me and the audience everything you know about special needs trusts. Awesome. <laughs> Um, so I think when I was thinking about this podcast and the reason why I wanted to cover the topic, I think we all know, you know, family members, families who have family members with special needs, and that could be mental, emotional, physical, any sort of challenges where, you know, when we do estate planning in particular, we want to make sure that the heirs are prepared to receive the money. Um, not just that the, the money is, you know, being prepared to transfer smoothly to the next generation. And in many cases, there's just situations where uh, the beneficiaries need special care. They need uh, protection for them, protection you know, from themselves, I, I should say also. So I personally have a special needs trust in my estate plan, Nancy and I do, so that we can protect one of our children. And so I've gone through, we've both gone through the tough decisions related to you know, how they work, you know, when do we set them up, who's going to be the executor, successor executor, things like that. And also in the last you know 35 years as an advisor, I've worked with many, actually a couple dozen clients and helped them guide through these tough choices. Because I think a lot of times when I talk to clients and they have these needs, they just they don't know what to ask or where to go. Um, and then actually we're so Nancy and I are so passionate about the topic that um, I've worked on foundation boards for, for example, Opportunity Enterprises here in Valparaiso. Misericordia. We've done a lot of uh, fundraising for Misericordia in Chicago. And one of our uh, primary sponsorships that Nancy and I provide is for Porter Stark locally, which deals with mental health. So we're very, very passionate about this topic. And that's why I'm excited about having Keith here today. So, and the reason why is, you know, I think Keith is going to add so much value to people listening is, like I said a minute ago, when people have children who have special needs and need special protection. Honestly, I've talked to hundreds of them. They just don't know where to go, who to ask. And there's so many moving parts. I mean, I do this for a living. And we struggled with, you know, the insurance, the asset protection, the legal side, the accounting side, reporting. So I I just thought I'd bring in someone who could really um, dive into it. So today I want to introduce Keith Wolak. Keith is a CPA and an attorney. So he's got incredible certifications and he's got a tremendous amount of experience and 
I just thought I'd introduce you first and, and introduce Keith Dills. Keith, just tell me a little bit about your background. How did you get into the business? Things like that. Sure. Thank you, Tim. Thank you very much for having me here today. And Eric, thank you. So I started out uh, actually similar to you, Tim. I started out as a CPA uh, before I went back to law school and uh, took my tax background and uh, pursued the interest in you know tax law and estate planning and things like that. Uh, so that's basically the, the the background of how I got to be where I get. And I guess I was always kind of a bean counter, and I'm still doing that, uh, just kind of on the legal side instead of the accounting side. This the topic for today is uh, is very specific, a very interesting topic. It's a very complex topic. As I was talking to you before we got started, it really is the intersection of federal regulation, tax law, state law, trust law, and of course, uh, you know, it relates to uh, you know primarily individuals that have disabilities, uh, which brings up uh, different issues that most people just aren't automatically uh, familiar with. So it's, uh, it's a very uh, broad topic. So if I, I would caution all the listeners uh, to definitely uh, understand that you need to consult with someone in your uh, state jurisdiction, uh, preferably someone who's a specialist in estate planning and especially uh, disability planning. In Indiana, we have a certification called a, a trust in the states uh, specialist, uh, which there's about 100 of us in the state. I'm one. And, and before you move on, I think that's important to note because I don't think people realize that uh, law, in particular state and special needs type of law, is all very state-specific. So can you just Talk a little bit about that if I'm in California versus Indiana versus Illinois. Yeah, there's a federal law underpinning to all of it, which kind of gives us a backdrop that's more or less consistent. But different, you know, Medicaid is implicated here. Uh, Medicaid is a hybrid federal and state program. So there are definitely times where you could have variances in the state. You could have variance in the trust law within the state that could impact what needs to happen in a special needs trust. And you're also, uh, even though these are federal, uh, you know, under uh, federal law, uh, administrative code, uh, Chevron deference, uh, meaning that uh, the uh, the agency makes interpretations of the of the administrative uh, provisions that they've created, you also have you know regional differences. So uh, the person who in my county handles some of these issues. Uh, it would be good to know them or to know how they deal with situations. So regionally and, and by state, it becomes important to have someone who's familiar with the, the terrain that you're working on to have the most success. And so if somebody did, I mean, I'm, I'm jumping the gun a little bit, but if somebody did have a trust like this and they moved from Nebraska to Illinois, is, is do they need to like typically review the trust then or... Yes, I would. I recommend to all my clients if they change state jurisdiction to always consult with an attorney in their new county or in their new region where they're living within that state. Um, there can be nuances not only with special needs issues but with any issue. One, one example is I had a client move to Kentucky. Uh, Kentucky required that trusts that hold real estate have to have a special filing with the recorder's office that's not required here so i wouldn't have known that they had to talk to somebody on the ground there to know that and so it's always a good thing for anyone who changes jurisdictions state jurisdictions, state locales 
to meet with an attorney who's specialized in that area and re just do a review. Uh, you don't necessarily have to redo your documents. You don't have to be sold on a whole new plan. Hopefully you don't have a lot of changes to make, but uh, some states have uh, state inheritance or uh, estate tax laws. Those things should all be reviewed when you uh, move into a new state. Okay, so I probably jumped the gun on you. Sorry about that. That's but okay. Maybe just talk a little bit about like what is a trust first of all, and then how you know how does that differ from like a special needs or other type of trust? Sure, great. So, um, as I said earlier, special needs trusts are a little more complex than your average trust. So, so we don't lose any listeners in the process of discussing the special <laughs> needs sure. trust. Let's just talk real briefly about what a trust is to begin with. Um, a, a trust is basically a written agreement between someone who has assets, we call them the trustor, and someone who will administer those assets on behalf of that person. That's called the trustee. So the trustor hands over assets to a trustee pursuant to a written agreement called a trust, and the trustee carries out the instructions of that trust. Most of the trusts that people deal with, I would say probably 95%, are what we would call revocable trusts, which are trusts where the person who puts the assets in the trust is also the trustee during their lifetime, and the trust is really disregarded for all purposes other than probate avoidance, and when they ultimately become incapacitated, uh, a successor trustee takes over and administers the trust for them, and when they ultimately pass away, that successor trustee would pay the money out to the beneficiaries who would be the person, the people named in the trust who would benefit from the assets in the trust. So that's the general structure of a trust. What's different about a special needs trust is we're specifically trying to make sure that the assets that we're putting in the trust for the beneficiary who's typically has some disability uh, does not disqualify them for eligibility for public benefits, typically Medicaid or SSI, which is uh, uh, an income. Like Social uh, Security. Yeah, yeah. it's a supplemental income for disabled people. And so basically those programs, Medicaid and SSI, have thresholds. Uh, for example, if you have more than $2,000 to your name, you know, your net worth is more than $2,000, you do not qualify for Medicaid or SSI. If your income becomes too high, uh, you don't qualify for those programs. So if we create a trust for someone who's disabled and that trust is counted as their asset, they're disqualified from the benefit that they would otherwise be entitled to or if they are given distributions from that trust that generate income that's countable uh, for purposes of Medicaid or SSI, they're gonna lose those benefits as well. So the whole idea of the special needs trust is to create a very restrictive trust where the trustee retains so much discretion and control that the assets are not countable assets for the beneficiary who's disabled and we try to minimize the impact that the distributions have on their eligibility for those programs. That probably doesn't make a whole, it might make sense, but the, the real reason here is if you've ever tried to qualify for Medicaid, not Medicare as a senior, but Medicaid as someone who's disabled, or SSI, you would find that it's very, very difficult, and there are very long procedures, and there could be waiting lists, and when you finally get on uh, one of those programs, 
uh, you're probably going to be on them for life. We wouldn't want an inheritance to knock you out of the program again, only to have you spend down that inheritance on those very same expenses and then have to reapply again. It's disruptive to uh, the lifestyle of the person who's disabled. So the disabled person already has challenges. Um, to be knocked in and out of these programs constantly is really not uh, in their best interest, and it's probably not in the government's best interest because it's a lot of work to get them qualified. Yeah, and just to uh, break up on that, so this is actually a program because someone might think, well, you're just trying to skirt the law, but this is actually very much established um, process and you know strategies. Mm -hmm. So you're not trying to pull one over that actually the government is you know fully on board with this. And I, I get your point. I think sometimes people think it's all about income, but if if you have someone who's disabled who is in a residence that took a long time to get into that residence and then they get an inheritance and then they're booted out, it, it's just really difficult for everybody. And yes, it is It is. Um, it is sanctioned uh, by specific statute in the government. And, and actually the first type of special needs trust that we would refer to is a self-settled trust. <clears throat> and that is specifically referred to as a D4A trust because D4A are the last four identifiers of the statutory uh, provision that provide for this trust. And a self-settled trust is not probably the typical trust for the listener here that's listening to your podcast. But the idea of a self-settled trust is if we have someone who is injured, For this is a common example, someone is injured in a car accident and they become disabled for the rest of their life. Mm -hmm. The self-settled trust means they're putting their own money, their settlement proceeds, into this trust and this trust will provide supplemental care and need for uh, supplemental care and benefits for them for their lifetime. So it's important to understand that even Medicare Medicaid doesn't pay for everything that someone would need if they have a disability. It covers maybe their basic prescriptions or their basic medical care, but it wouldn't cover things that are more specific like special equipment or other uh, special treatments or things that aren't approved for a medical purpose. It wouldn't, uh, uh, it wouldn't uh, provide for them to travel recreationally uh, with other family members or things like that. Uh, so the, the supplemental nature of the Special Needs Trust provides the disabled person a much better lifestyle above and beyond what the basic Medicaid or SSI benefits would, would provide. Okay, so there's an accident, let's say, and there's been a settlement. The, the government doesn't want that settlement to all go to back to the government, let's say. They're, they're looking to make the quality of life better for the recipient. Yes, so the, qualifi the qualifying issue here is the government basically makes an, an, has made an agreement and said, we're okay with you setting this money aside and using it for the special needs of the disabled person above and beyond what Medicaid or SSI, for example, would provide for them. However... In a self-settled special needs trust, the government keeps a running tally of everything that they have spent on the person's behalf. And when that person dies, the money that's in that trust, if there's money remaining, has to first repay the government for what it invested in the person's care during their lifetime. Ooh, a lot of accounting. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. It's, definitely, it's definitely a lot of accounting. They, do, they keep track of it by social security number, 
mm-hmm. and they uh, submit their bill and if there are money. So in the in the case that I gave you where there's a personal injury and a very large amount of money and this and this self-settled special needs trust is sitting out there and providing supplemental needs and the person passes away and there's money still there, the government is getting repaid uh, by that by those funds. Now, if there aren't funds left over, there probably wasn't that much in funds to begin with anyway. Sure. So they were really more or less just saying, let's give this person stable health care and basic support and let them have uh, this uh, special needs trust to provide them with supplemental needs that they'll have and above what the government can provide. Okay. And so you mentioned that that was less common. What's a more common use that you see with your clients when you're setting up a special needs trust? Right. So in that case, we actually have money that is the property of the disabled person uh, being put into the special needs trust for that part that process. But for purpose of uh, purposes of your clients that you meet with regularly as a financial advisor, you're probably more likely having people who have assets independently, their parents or their grandparents, and they have a child or a grandchild that they see has this need. And they understand that this child is qualified or will qualify for Medicaid and SSI. And they want to help, but they don't want to help by killing their opportunity to have stable health insurance and, and uh, uh, supplemental income. So that is what you would call a third-party special needs trust, where a third party, a parent or grandparent, sets aside their own money uh, for the benefit of the disabled child in a special needs trust for them. The the common, the, the, there's a little bit of a, the, the biggest difference with regard to the third-party special needs trust is there is no requirement that at the death of the beneficiary the funds go to the government. Uh, Under a third-party special needs trust, the trustor, in this case the parent or grandparent, can have any other contingent beneficiary they want, their other children or grandchildren or charity or whatever they want to do after the life of the special needs person is uh, over. And if you think about it, basically that makes a lot of sense. I mean, the the parent or grandparent has no legal obligation to support, you know, a, a, an adult child. Uh, they're doing so out of love and out of compassion, and um, we don't want to penalize them by, you know, making them sacrifice everything that they have. In most cases, these aren't people who probably could afford to pay the medical care for a disabled person for their whole life, but they could afford to set aside money that would supplement their life, uh, make them happier and healthier and more in, able to engage with other family members. So so is it fair to say that um, if I have three kids and you know, one has special needs, so maybe you set aside in your will or your trust uh, your, you know, at death, that a special needs trust is set up for the one third, but then if it's not used, it, does it revert then to the remaining? Mm-hmm. Or I mean, what, what do you see typically uh, with your clients? Uh, typically, it would probably go to the other children mm-hmm. uh, who survive. You know, uh, but in, yeah, I've had a case where it was an only child, and after the um, child is deceased, those funds will go to provide for local charities and mm-hmm. uh, friends. Uh, who helped care for him, and uh, uh, you know that that's that would pr- be a common uh, thing to happen in those in those cases. So, from the parents or grandparents' perspective, would you say that the the problem you're solving is that they want to provide, but at the same time they want to protect 
the funds, and they actually want to protect the beneficiary, the, the child or the grandchild or whoever, right? Yeah, so the, the, the primary issue with a special needs trust would be we want to preserve the eligibility for the benefits that the child would otherwise mm -hmm. be entitled to. Mm -hmm. And by benefits, I mean things like Medicaid, SSI, or other governmental programs that might assist with rent or whatever for the disabled child. Um, because there really is no n knowing how much this is going to cost you know, for the average family if someone's really unable to, to provide for themselves. And, and I'm, I'm sure there's always, like everything, kind of a cost-benefit. You know, any sort of trust, there's expense, there's time, there's, you know, you have to identify trustees. So are, are there situations where it definitely makes sense, but maybe sometimes it doesn't, like in your, your experience? Well, you kind of touched on a key point with special needs trusts. You know, we draft trusts all the time. And, you know, most of the time, one of the questions is who should be the trustee after mm -hmm. mom and dad are gone, for an example. When mom and dad aren't here, who should be the trustee of this trust? And you know, your options are a family member or a friend or a professional. And by professional, I mean a, a bank trust account, a financial advisor, a affiliate who is a licensed trustee, a fiduciary uh, who could do that. And they charge, you know, let's just say on average, maybe one and a quarter percent of the value of the trust per year to administer a trust. So there's definitely a cost associated with that. So most people uh, try to have their trust administered by family to the extent that's possible. Where we don't want that to happen is where there's the, the trustee role will cause animosity between the children or right. the beneficiaries or the grandchildren or whatever. So that's one issue. But the special needs trust kind of raises a separate issue, and that is the complexity of the administration of the trust. We talked at the very beginning about the federal regulations, and uh, it's, a, it's a specialty in and of itself on how to be a trustee for a special needs trust, because virtually everything that you do or everything that comes out of a special needs trust could potentially kill the deal. Mm -hmm. And so we really probably want someone to be the trustee who is well-versed in these rules, who keeps up with them on an annual basis, and who is not going to let things slip. If you could imagine somebody who maybe lets their check, checking account get out of balance or bounces a check or doesn't get a tax return filed on time would not be a good trustee for general purposes, but would be a disastrous trustee oh, for, sure. for a special needs trust. Yeah. So you really have to think about that. Now, so one thing is you could hire a professional and pay the expense, which I think is probably well worth it. Because again, remember what we're trying to do with this trust is we're trying to provide a better standard of living for a child who needs help. And so we really probably shouldn't worry about cutting corners on the cost of the trust administration. But there's also another option, which is uh, states have set up public trusts for the benefit of disabled people. In Indiana, it's called the Ark of Indiana Trust. And they, if you didn't want to do this work at all, and you just wanted to leave the money to them for the benefit of your child, you could do that. And they would handle all of the rule following, if you will. They would worry about the distributions. They would worry about uh, the uh, tax rules and all that stuff. And that's a real viable option. And 
as a third-party special needs trust in Indiana, they can even you could leave the leftover money with them as a charity if you wanted, but you're not required to. So you could still have the contingent beneficiary be your other family. Oh, so, so it's is a cost comparative competitive or it yeah it's actually probably cheaper than okay. out in the private industry, mm-hmm. um, and obviously they're experts. So that's a real attractive option for a family. But there's another option too, uh, or hybrid option if you will, which would be what we call a third party tandem trust. So this would be a situation where you might have your child be the trustee of an absolute discretionary trust uh, or even a special needs trust for the, uh, it probably would be the special needs trust, a third party special needs trust for the child, but that trust would not make any payments. The only thing that trust would do would be transfer money to the, say, Ark of Indiana Special Needs Trust, and then they would handle all the paperwork. So in other words, uh, you wouldn't necessarily have to release control of all the money to the Ark of Indiana. You could do it on a smaller scale and have your own separate special needs trust hold the money back for distribution to the family without going through the Ark. So it sounds like you can maintain some control, but at the same time, hopefully eliminate some of that possible problems between siblings Mm -hmm. where you have trustee beneficiary conflicts. Mm -hmm. And you might be able to have more aggressive investing Mm. by the third party special needs trust controlled by the family. That makes sense. And then the paperwork done by the other special needs trust. This was a little bit more of a deal a few a decade or so back when I don't think the ARC allowed the payment uh, to your own beneficiaries' contingents, but now they do, so I don't think it's as big of an issue. Uh, but still, a lot of people like to keep control, especially if they have a larger amount, because um, I don't think you'd really want to fund the ARC with less than like $50,000. or so. I mean, if you could put all that you have in there, but you also wouldn't want to probably have less. The ARC also has a, uh, a program where... If you do agree to leave the money in there, they agree to, if your money runs out, they agree to share other people's money with your children, and you're doing the same. So it's kind of a group. Like a pooled approach. Yeah, definitely. So there's also that option. uh, And and how does that that. integrate with, um, like we've done a little work with ABLE accounts. Mm -hmm. You know, how how do you use that as a tool? So the interesting thing about ABLE's, uh, the ABLE accounts, which are Achieving a Better Life Experience uh, accounts, for your listeners who are familiar with a 529 plan, an ABLE account is basically a 529 plan for a disabled. The money that goes into the account grows tax-free. The money, if used for a qualified disabled need, is uh, tax-exempt. It's not taxable income. But if you use it for a non-qualified purpose, there's income and a 10% penalty. So it really mirrors the 529 kind of setup very closely. There are a few differences between, and once I get done with these kind of background things, I'll kind of work with some, oops, excuse me, some ways that this might work for, um, to integrate with the special needs trust. Uh, There's a few differences between the 529 in the sense that each individual is only allowed to have one ABLE account whereas grandparents, parents, everybody could open up a 529 for a child. This, they're only allowed one ABLE account. Uh, a disabled person can open their own account. The, the funding is more limited. Uh, you can only fund an ABLE account with the annual gift exclusion, right now 15000 per year. If it's a self-funded account, 
the uh, disabled individual has earned income, they can contribute their wages up to uh, their earned income or the poverty level, whichever is less. Okay. So they have a little more flexibility to contribute, but otherwise the counts aren't going to get get huge. Uh, the counts do have the same maximum as a 529 plan, which I'm not sure exactly what that amount is in Indiana. That's going to vary by state, but I think Indiana is about 250. Does that sound about right? I think that's right, yeah. yeah. And then there's another issue, is that if an ABLE account exceeds $100,000, uh, your SSI benefits would be suspended. So you do have to be a little bit careful there. And then another big difference between, uh, well, not necessarily a difference between the 529, but something that's very important to know about uh, the ABLE account is they are required to reimburse Medicaid just like a self-settled special needs trust. So even if a parent funds an ABLE account, those funds are required to reimburse Medicaid uh, when the child dies. So that might be a reason people opt more for a special third-party special needs trust than an ABLE account. And of course, an ABLE account is kind of on a smaller scale because it's limited to the $15,000 contribution per year. Sure. So it sounds like there's a lot of complicated moving parts. So if yeah. somebody has an, you know, a child, a grandchild, someone they love who they believe has a special need and they come to you, you know, what, what's the process so that someone might know if they're coming to your office, um, what happens in that first meeting? Well, as with any estate plan, you really have to kind of get the lay of the land and kind of figure out what's going on. And one thing to note, like with an ABLE account, a disability has to occur before the child attains age 26 for an account to be ABLE eligible, okay? Similarly, for a self-settled trust, <clears throat> you have to be 65 or under. So as you go through these uh, these questions, you kind of have to map out, you know, what, what are the options based on the issues that are, that are presenting. Uh, once you've kind of gone through that analysis and then seen what the parent's objectives are, some parents, for example, we're talking about family, some parents might be very unconcerned about forfeiting money to Medicaid out of the ABLE account. Others might see that as a deal breaker. Um, some people might uh, be very much wanting to hold control of the third-party special needs trust, even though it's uh, complicated. Other people are very happy to write a check to the third party and not even incur any trust expense by using the Ark of Indiana. Uh, so as, a, as an estate planner, what I try to do is lay out the options for everybody. Uh, here are the different types of accounts. Here are your options to create a trust privately or to use the public. Uh, here are the, the limitations on the money. Here are the objectives you might try to uh, achieve. And then you really get your feedback from the client. And, and they pretty much, once they've got that, those parameters, they're pretty, uh, they, they move pretty quickly to a decision as, as to what they're comfortable with doing. Okay, so it sounds like it's a discovery meeting where you're gathering information, you're getting a feel for their goals, their, their concerns, you know, their pain points, and then hopefully coming back with some solutions that can help them. Absolutely. So if somebody wanted to reach out to you and schedule one of those meetings, um, how do they get a hold of you? Yeah, for people in Indiana, uh, I can be reached uh, at my email, which is kwolak at hwelaw.com. Our law firm is Hepner, Wagner, and Evans. And 
Uh, our phone number, my direct dial is 219-464-9791. And like as, as, as you just indicated, usually the first step is maybe a short phone call, uh, an in-person meeting, a, cl- a questionnaire that kind of outlines assets, children, relationships, issues, and then have the discussion about special needs trusts and all other kind of issues because even children that aren't disabled, some of them have special needs like they have bad habits like spending or gambling or mm-hmm. substance abuse. They have unstable relationships. All these things kind of come out in the private meeting with the parents and, and to what their concerns are. And it's funny because sometimes the concerns are the same for both parents, and sometimes they're not. <laughs> I and, know. And so you just walk, you have the discussion. I mean, that's all we can really do is have the discussion. And then whatever decision they make about how they want to move forward as a family, then they make that decision. Yeah, this is excellent because I know from going through the process myself, going through the process with a, a lot of clients, um, it's very emotional, very tough. But I can tell anyone who's listened, I have a number of clients who have done this, worked work through this process with Keith, and he's, he's great, very empathetic, very passionate about what he does. So thank you so much for being here today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. You bet. I would think that at the end of the day, getting this done would take so much stress off somebody's plate. You know, the, 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 all those concerns, all those worries, uh, I think that even though the process may be emotional, like you said, Tim, it, it's got to be well worth it when it's, when it's all wrapped up. Well, if I could comment on that briefly, uh, one of the interesting things uh, is the front end is what inspires people to act. Mm-hmm. And everyone knows they have to make a plan of some sort for some reason, and special needs is a big one. So if you have a special needs issue and you're not making a plan, kind of shame on you because that really is something that should be addressed. But I had a person in my office here to, uh, this week who is in because a, a, a sibling died suddenly. And then all estate planners will tell you the joke about the call they get because people are flying out of town on vacation and they realize they don't have a estate plan in place. And as my old law professor used to say, I would, he would tell them, if you think you're going to die on the vacation, don't go. <laughs> but <laughs> Yeah, that's but, a good recommendation. Yeah. But there's always a um, there's, there's an impetus on the front end as to why they came in, and usually it's kicking and screaming or after many years or months of thinking about it. And then at the end of the process, uh, you're absolutely correct that typically the, the conversation is, I'm so glad we finally have discussed this. And mm-hmm. even if they don't do something as dramatic as a special needs trust or a trust or whatever, they at least understand the risks that they didn't understand before and how they're going to manage those going forward. Yeah. A lot, a lot, you, you provide a lot of uh, emotional certainty. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. Keith, again, thank you so much for being on the show. And of course, Tim, thank you for uh, bringing him on the show and having this important discussion. Um, going through it yourself, I know that you know that's that's something that was on your heart and on your mind. And so you, you brought in the best to do that with. Um, do you have any closing thoughts for today's show? Again, I just think I'm, everybody knows somebody um, who has someone in the family who has some sort of special needs. Could be physical, emotional, like um, Keith said, you know, now nowadays in this world, especially through COVID, you know, drug addiction, you see more of that. Uh, mental illness is a big one. I just think this is something everybody should know about and talk about. So that's why I wanted to have Keith on today. Absolutely. Well, again, thank you for bringing him on the show. And our last thank you always goes to you, listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Wall Street Podcast with Tim Scannell. 
If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Tim comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family. And this is probably one that you need to be sharing because like Tim said, you probably know somebody who needs to hear it. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Hightower Great Lakes, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the WealthStream Podcast. We hope you gained some valuable insight that you can apply to your life and share with others. Please don't forget to subscribe below to be notified when new episodes become available. And don't forget to live greater. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Hightower Great Lakes. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Hightower Great Lakes is a group of investment professionals registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC.